First in my heart is the title I gave to this sermon, First in my heart. And uh, boy, the song during the Lord's Supper was exactly the song for this sermon. In fact, it's the request that I put in for Jesse as the closer. Be thou my vision, Lord, first in my heart. That is what I see in these verses. Let's unpack them as we uh, have an opportunity here together. I titled the first section, The Priority of Jesus. The Priority of Jesus. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, if you have a Bible, you might want to underline that word. It's a surprising, shocking word to hear from Jesus. Hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even hate, right? We're still using that word. Even hate his own life. If he doesn't do this, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you have to put yourself in the crowds. You've been following Jesus. And you're like, okay, this guy is pretty incredible. He's taken the Pharisees to task. He's silencing the religiosity of our day. He's embarrassing them. And he's healing people in ways that we've never seen. And you're just like, yeah, rah, rah, let's follow. And all the crowds are gathering. Let's see some more tricks, Jesus. Right? And then he says this. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, he must not mean hate. What, why did he say this? Now, if you were to go to a Christian bookstore and say, oh, well, I'd, I'd like to grow my church, do you have any books on church growth strategies? Do you think that these verses would show up in chapter 1? Or any chapter in the book? This is a great way to grow your church. Tell people that in order to follow Jesus, they have to hate every family relationship they have. What is Jesus doing? Well, one of the things he's doing is he's not being seeker sensitive. Okay? He's, he's not bending over backwards to try to just woo the crowds into a frenzy of following. He is paring down the crowds on purpose. He regularly says things like this that just make you scratch your head and say, what? What? what is that? Well, let's examine this a little more. Great crowds. Was Jesus impressed? No. Jesus was never impressed with the crowds. It never was about popularity. It was about truth and heartfelt loyalty. Great crowds never impressed Jesus. He gathered a band of 12 and invested in them for three years. That's, that's the focus of his three-year work. Twelve people, one of which was a traitor. The question really becomes, in this mix, this mass of humanity, these thousands upon thousands who have followed Jesus now, of those, you have some true followers, but you also have some trend followers, these are the people who are like, the crowd draws a crowd, right? They're like, oh, what's going on? Dude, let's go. This is the coolest thing that's happening. This guy does crazy stuff. In fact, we might even get a free meal. Did you hear what he did over there? He fed them with just a few loaves and fish. 
And they said it was like the best food ever. Let's do it. Why not? Free food, great entertainment, Pharisees embarrassed. That's a win. We're there. And so these followers were there, but they were not wholehearted, all in, committed, both feet, till death do us part, disciples. They were fans of Jesus, but they were not followers of Jesus. Jesus would not have been impressed with a million likes on his Facebook page. He was looking for more than likes. Now this word hatred, we've got to try to figure this out. The scripture will regularly use this word, and and it hits us with great shock, and it should. Hatred. How do we get this? Does this even square with other things that Jesus has taught? I thought that we were supposed to love one another and serve one another. Certainly our own family, right? Parents and children and and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Hatred? Well, the secret to understanding this is to understand it in comparison to Christ, right? So if you love Jesus to the degree that you are to love him, the contrast is so great between every other love that every other lesser love should be seen even in the category of hate. It's so much more for Christ than anyone else, than spouse or children or father or mother, brother and sister. He requires to be the priority in your life above every other person, above every other priority. He's saying, I don't want just to be a part of your life. You know, the thing I do on Sundays. I want to be the thing, the priority, the highest love, such that everything else is so far below that could be described as hate. Now, we are to love one another, certainly. Jesus is saying, basically, there should be no contest, no competition. Uh, There is an undivided heart for Christ and Christ above all else, first in my heart. That's his call. I am to be in your heart, Christian, first. No question. That is a very high bar. Is it not? I mean, do we feel that? We're talking reality here. My love for my wife runs deep. But my love for my wife is nothing like my love for Christ. You see what we're saying? It's far more for him than even my wife. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my treasure. He is my reward. Go down the list. Think of all the things you could say of Christ that he is. He is my closest friend. He is my advocate, my mediator. He is my shelter, my shield, my rock, my comfort, my joy, my crown. He is everything. If I try to make my wife any of those things, I have made an idol, and she could never live up to that. And so in comparison, friends, we either have love for Christ and then far lesser love for one another, which is still love, and it's still deep, and it's still real and true. But if we ascribe the kind of love that we are to give only to Christ, to anyone else, we've given them idolatrous affection. 
competition that only Jesus deserves of our heart. Full, robust, undivided love. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart. Not just some or what's left after everybody else. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, what? You're my treasure. You're my treasure above everything else. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. When you really melt it down, He is what I have. All these other earthly blessings, they come from Him. They're just the the demonstration of His love. He lavishes good grace and gifts, never to be bowed down to or worshipped, but enjoyed as gifts from His hand. The one who deserves my whole heart. And so the challenge comes, friends, following Jesus. Um, I want to be committed to Him, and and, and I'm increasingly growing, and, and, and He is captivating my heart. And all of a sudden, let's just say, uh, my dad and my mom are like, son, we're, I mean, you got to tone it down a little, right? You're getting a little over the top with this Jesus stuff. I mean, great that you got Jesus, but, I mean, do you love us? Do, do we matter to you? Um, when, when we say we want to do stuff on Sundays and you say that you would rather be in church, we find it kind of offensive, right? Like, like what about us? What do you say? Or, let's say you're married, and then you're saved. God saves you, but he doesn't save your spouse yet. And all of a sudden, your wife comes and says, "Uh, honey, I I, I know it sounds kind of weird to say this, but it feels like to me like you love Jesus more than me. Like, you keep going to church on Sundays, you, you're, you're there on Wednesday nights in Bible study, and you keep telling our kids about Jesus, or that just, will you just knock it off? I mean, you're freaking me out. Stop with the Jesus stuff. What do you say? Or you have a son who decides that walking with Christ is not what he would prefer to do. And so he, he knows the truth. He knows what God has commanded. He knows that he might even call himself a Christian, but he decides, you know what? I'm just, I found this girl. She doesn't know the Lord, but, you know, we're in love. I'm just going to move in. You know, I just want to move in with her. And they're young, and so they're like, well, we just want to get started. We can't afford a place to rent. So, dad, mom, couldn't we just crash at your place for a while to save some money and get on our feet? What do you say? You see what I'm talking about? There is real love for these people. These are family. We're talking, that's my son, whom I love. That's my my spouse, my wife, right? My father, my mother. Here's the response. Mom, Dad, Jesus is everything to me. And I, I love you. Don't get me wrong. I love you big time. But my love for Jesus is far greater. And, and you're going to find me on Sundays in the church making much of him. Now, we can hang out any other time during the week. But don't get me wrong. You know where I'm going to be on Sundays. Okay? 
I'm going to be with his people, singing his praise. Or, wife, honey, I don't want a divorce. I, I don't mean to freak you out about this Jesus thing. But I will be clear, I love him way more. I love him above everything and everyone, even you. And I long for the day that you can share that love for him as well. I want you to love him more than me. But if that's not where you're at, that's okay. I don't want to, you know, offend you or hurt your feelings, but I just do want to make it clear. He comes first. Or, son, we love you, and it's because we love you that we're going to say no. We're not going to invite you to come and invite the wrath of God by living in sin under our roof. We, we, we disagree with your decisions. We think it's actually harmful to you. It's not loving to say anything less. And no, you can't live in our house uh, and, and, and think that that's okay while you're living in sin. Now, if you would like to break up with this girl uh, or uh, live on your own and not live together under our roof, then maybe we can figure something out. You see what I'm saying? Priority. Who comes first? Above even these challenging family dynamics, there is no question. The priority must land. Jesus first. We don't love our family if we compromise on this. It's not love. Jesus demands it. He's not suggesting it. He is demanding this. It's part of following him. Let's keep going. Verse 27, comfort or cross, comfort or cross. Jesus goes on to say this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay? Now, for the most part, we don't experience uh, this imagery, right? We, we don't have crucifixions taking place at all, I should say, in, in our day, thankfully. So, this, this concept of carrying or carrying your own cross, this is going to your death with an instrument of, of torture on your back. You're carrying your own cross. You're going up to die. And that's what Jesus says is a requirement to be his disciple. That's kind of a high bar. He suggests that we should love him so much that we even hate our own life that we're willing to lay it down if need be. You have my life. I will suffer excruciating pain unto death if that be the plan that is written for me, your will. That's how far we'll take this. And Jesus just ratchets it up even higher. In our day, friends, the, the idea of carrying a cross, it's just not popular. It's, it's really not. I'll tell you what is. Comfort. Comfort. Ease. It's the American dream, right? You have what you want. You live your best life now. Don't carry your cross. I wonder how Joel Osteen handles this verse, right? The prosperity gospel just doesn't have a way or a category for these kinds of things that Jesus says come to Jesus, everything will be easy and wonderful. He'll just give you all the creature comforts you can ever imagine. Heal you up. 
You'll live a long, happy, wealthy, and healthy life. Uh, no, actually no. Now, when you suffer, your suffering has meaning when you suffer in the name of Christ. When you die, your death has a purpose to glorify Christ, right? But Christians suffer and Christians die every day, right? We should feel that within our ranks right here. Coming to Christ does not mean the end of all challenging trials and circumstances. It simply means he's with us. He's here. We're not alone. And everything we go through has a purpose. So you could say it this way. Salvation is free. Discipleship is not. Salvation is is our experience of the work of God. It is a monergistic work. He is the worker. He alone saves. God is the agent of saving salvation. The Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes the work. The Spirit applies the work in regeneration. We are saved upon the proclamation of the gospel. Monergistic. God alone saves. When it comes to discipleship, the work of sanctification, that's a synergistic work. That is, we work with God to grow. We walk in his, in, in his power to obey. Discipleship is costly. Hmm. It is finished. The work is done. We contribute nothing to our salvation, but the work begins when we are saved, and it requires everything. He wants to take you as you are and make you like Christ. And he says there's no doors, there's no rooms that are off limit. I I take the whole house. I want all of you. It's kind of like a wedding. The difference between a wedding and vow keeping. You know, it's it's easy to get married. You know what I mean? Aren't weddings awesome? I I just love weddings. You've got cake and the people and everything's light and wonderful and and it's beautiful and there's a photographer it would be like someone saying i'm all about the wedding but the very next day they're like eh, divorce i'm done with you i just don't i'm not really into vow keeping jesus wants to be clear when you trust me as savior you're trusting me as lord And that work of lordship and discipleship and and sanctification and growth, that it's all together. So the wedding is glorious. But that's just the starting blocks, right? The true joy is running through the tape. Keeping that vow till death do us part. That's not easy, friends. That's hard work. It will require tenacious perseverance clinging to him with all your might. That is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You don't quit. You don't let up. You don't let go. You keep trusting. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep confessing until he comes or until you die. Bear your cross, believer, in 2020. Bear your cross. What does it look like for you? For some of you, that's going to be a a challenge, a trial, suffering, a a battle that you're facing. For some of you, it's it's persecution in the workplace, right? To be mocked, 
for your faith. That's okay. That's all right. If that is the cross, be unashamed. Keep your chin up. It's going to be okay. Bearing your cross. You're identifying with Christ. You're suffering for Christ. You're obeying for Christ. All in. Both feet. No matter what. If family don't approve, you stay at it. I mean, in some places, right? In some cultures, to become a Christian is to face violence, if not death, from your own family. Right? You can have an honor killing in some cultures. They'll kill you to protect the honor of the family name, just to keep you from naming Christ along with their family name. First in my heart. That's my cross. I'll carry it. He's worth it. He's worth it. My life is yours, Jesus. My days are yours, Jesus. My talents are yours, Jesus. All of my dreams, they're yours. They're yours. Do with them as you will, right? Everything I own is yours. You see the bar that Jesus is setting? He's not just putting up this, this easy believism front. He's saying, you got to be all in. To follow me requires everything. Hmm. In our day, there's a little bit of a different gospel that is proclaimed, and I just got to draw some attention to it. I, I, I do this because I want us to be discerning, I don't do this with any joy in my heart. I do this with a longing that those voices that propagate this garbage would actually find the true, delightful glory of the gospel. But we've got we've to discern when we walk into a Christian bookstore. There is a man-centered American dreamism that is propagated, and it happens throughout the country, especially in our nation. And then we do a great job of sending it around the world. Here's a, a little glimpse of it. Hey, God is just amazed at how awesome you are. You're so awesome. Can't even get over it. He's just crazy about you. Have you heard this? God is crazy about you. God wants to make all your dreams come true. He just... He just is sitting up there waiting for you to believe in yourself so that he can just make all your dreams come true. God loves you and, and likes your wonderful plan for your life. Your wonderful plan for your life. Now, God does love you. But the wonderful plan God has for your life may include martyrdom or cancer or, or suffering right? We just got to see this. The greatest call of the gospel is repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, be forgiven, and get God, no matter what comes your way in this life. You have him. Here's a little bit from Rachel Hollis. She wrote a couple books. The first book was Girl, Wash Your Face, and the second book is actually worse, Girl, stop apologizing. Yeah, just say at the top, if you have these books, they work really good for starting fires. <laughs> and they're terrible, quote-unquote, Christian advice. It's just, there are some books that are just flat-out that bad. 
This is anti-Christian. She says this. She, she carries the name of Christ in this writing, but, but she says these things. You need to believe you're capable of making changes to become whatever kind of person you want to be. You've got to decide right now that you can be whoever you want to. Now, don't miss this. You can be whoever you want to be. We're talking identity, okay? Young people, you're going to hear more about this in Charlene's class. Identity. Choose your identity, i.e., gender, right? You pick. You decide. Do what you want, and then so, so, so identity, and then achieve whatever you want to achieve. So do whatever you want to do, okay? You, you decide. Now, I'm pretty sure that Christ, in his lordship over the believer, has the say in those things, but that's totally ignored here. She goes on to say, the real you, ironically, is destined, okay? I, I just, the logic here is just loopy. The real you is destined for something more, your version of more. Now, who destines me? I don't know, because I choose more, the version of more that I, that I want. This is who you were made to be. Well, made by who? I guess me. The first step to making that vision a reality is stop apologizing for having the dream in the first place. Whose dream? My dream. For me to be and do whatever I want. And then to quote the great philosopher, (laughs) Lady Gaga. When you're reading Christian literature and you see quotes from popular musicians who are not believers, just have a kind of like a red flag that flies. Maybe we're drawing content from weird places. How about the Bible? Lady Gaga says, baby, you were born this way, which, friends, to be clear, is a license for homosexuality. This is who I am. I was born like this. I do whatever I want. It's masked here in Rachel's words, but it's present. It's time to become who you were made to be. Now, there's no mention of God, is there? But we're talking about destination, which is, frankly, God's work, he destines, and making or creating, that's his work, but he's not mentioned. Now, let's talk about self a little more. To get there, friends, Hollis says you first need to learn to love yourself well, oh, and give yourself credit, i.e., glorify yourself when you succeed. Then reach for more. She encourages readers to pick 10 goals, write them out every day, meditate on the future vision we have for ourselves in order to get our subconscious involved, because that's important, right? When you're dreaming, you really want that to shape your destiny. An example of one of these on her list is, I only fly first class. This stuff flies off the shelves in Christian stores. What if this book is Christian? She has an entire portion of this book dedicated to renouncing guilt categorically. Guilt is not taught from anybody above. That's just a man, man-centered teaching. So dispense with guilt and stop apologizing. Okay. 
Well, that's really good news if you're really not interested in dealing with sin. It's bad news if you're interested in actually proclaiming the gospel. Because the very heart of conviction for sin is the very heart of gospel. The Savior of sinners. You don't need salvation if you have no guilt. And you can just throw your Bible away and follow Rachel all the way to hell because that's where she's leading people with this garbage. Friends, the gospel is so much better. Just, you read that stuff and you're just longing for a greater story than me, right? Is there something bigger for me to live for than me? Yes, there is something grand and great. It's called the Great Commission and the glory of God and His kingdom and His work. It's global and it's eternal and it will cost you everything. That's the answer. Let's rewind the tape a little bit. Not all that long ago, there was a category of missionary sent from this country by churches just like this. The missionaries were referred to as one-way missionaries. They would pack their earthly belongings in a coffin to go on their mission work, and they would buy a one-way ticket. And they would write a letter to their pastor and sign it and seal it. And upon their death, that letter was to be read to the congregation. Death was assumed. It was assumed. The coffin was packed the ticket was purchased, the letter was written, they would be prayed for, and they would be sent. And many letters were read to many congregations. Dear Pastor, this is Rachel. If you're reading this, it means that I died, doing what I long to do with all my heart, serving my Lord, Savior, and King, and telling others about the good news of the gospel. Some may not understand, but I joyfully have laid all down for his work and his glory. Signed, Rachel. Now, hold those two up. Which Rachel has a greater view of God, of purpose, of life, death, and eternity? There's no comparison. Flying first class is all about comfort. Friends, we are disposed to this. It's subtle. We're here to be aware of this, this, this inclination in 2020 to make it about comfort, not kingdom. Jesus says kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. First in my heart. Lord, be first in my heart this year. Now the cost of discipleship the cost of discipleship. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, well, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He goes on. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who is coming against him with 20. 
And if not, while the other is a great way off, sends a delegation and says, uh, and asks for terms of peace. What's Jesus wanting us to consider? He's saying, listen, you need to consider this. You need to really ask yourself, do I see the full picture here? Jesus is demanding my all this year. Am I a fan or am I a follower? Am I just kind of floating around in the crowd hoping to catch a glimpse of something cool, hoping for a blessing here or there, or am I all in no matter what? Come what may. I love that there's no fine print with Jesus. He's not a used car salesman, right? (laughs) He's just like, here it is up front, right? I'm not going to just, you know, walk you in and then pull the rug out from you later. No, this is what it requires, everything. So consider that. Really, the question that we have to ask is, is Jesus really worth, is, is he really worth it all? Is he worth it that much that, that I would give everything? Yeah, he is. And more and more. The proclamation of the gospel should lead us to the answer, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. No, it's not just part of your life. He is your life. He is your life. And then Jesus just pounds the final nail and he says this, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, the echo of these words come after he tells about the wedding invitation and the the feast, actually was the the feast invitation, and the one guy's like, hey, listen, I bought some oxen. I I gotta go look at my cows. And the other guy was like, hey, man, I, I got some land. I got to go stare at some dirt. I don't have time for the wedding. And the other guy goes, oh, I got married, right? It's, it's family, dude. You can't knock me for choosing my wife, right? Jesus is like, yeah, actually, I, I can. First place above your cows, above your dirt, even above your spouse. Renounce it all. The word renounce. Just, I, I turn it. I, 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 I give it away. If need be, it's all yours. I abandon it. If that's what you call. Now, to be clear, Jesus doesn't suggest that we can't own property, right? He's not saying you can't have some cows or get married. He's saying those things have their place, and their place is not the throne of your heart. renounce it all and follow me. Think of the disciples who literally stood up and left everything to follow Christ. That's the call. He demands the throne of your life. Is Jesus on the throne in 2020? Is it going to be? This is a great New Year sermon, isn't it? I mean, it's just, he, he arranged this just for us to start a year, to evaluate. Okay, last year, How did he rule in my life over all of these things? This year, how is it going to be different? How can I establish him as Lord more this year than last year? What does it look like? 
How can he shape my dreams? How can he take my gifts and talents and, and employ them for his glory and purpose? What's amazing about this is Jesus' demand is like the most loving gift he could give, right? To demand the throne in your heart, that's the greatest loving act God could ever do for you. We were never designed to sit on that throne. It was the lie from Genesis 3 that we should ever sit there. We've been created by God to be joyful, submissive, delighted worshipers of Him as He rules and reigns and leads and directs. It is a, an eternally satisfying surrender. Some of you may be here and you're just, if you were honest, you're saying, listen, Jesus is not on the throne in my life. I am. Then today, there's good news for you. There's a bigger story that waits. There is freedom. There is forgiveness of sin. There is a king who is ready to take the throne in your life. And today could be the day where the sovereign comes and you experience the satisfying surrender of repentance and life in him. That would be a great way to start a new year. It would be a great way to start a life that would never end. It can happen today. Just look to him. Trust in him. Rely upon him to turn from your sins and, and lay all of your offenses against God at his feet and you will be forgiven in the power of Christ. Amazing. Amazing that we have that gift. It just blows my mind. Every time I hear the gospel, I'm just amazed at it. Now, let's talk about salt. Verses 34 and 35. Diluted, not diluted, diluted or potent. Salt is good, Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste or its, its punch, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. And then he adds this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How do you have ears to hear? Only by the grace of the Spirit's work in your life. The Spirit of God can open your ears, even now, to hear these words from Christ. Why are we talking about salt, right? I mean, salt. Salt to us isn't as big a deal. We have a lot of it, but there were times throughout church history and, and uh, history of mankind where salt was actually very high in demand. You, you needed it to survive. Before refrigeration, salt was a big deal. You, you use salt to, to flavor. You ever had just a, a really bland dish, you know, and you're just like, eh, could you pass the salt? <laughs> You know, just salt does amazing things for flavor. Salt also preserves. It preserves. Think of how believers do that in this fallen and dark world. Preserve and flavor. Salt can be used as fertilizer. And I just learned this. Apparently, it can restrain the pungent smell of manure. You pig farmers may give it a try. I don't know. Maybe this is, this is I, I never heard this. Apparently, you can throw salt and use it in that way as well. Huh. 
So, in what way can we lose our saltiness? Now, chemically, salt can't lose saltiness. It can only be diluted, right? You, you, salt is salt. It does what it does. But if it's diluted and, and it's, it's spread, then it can lose its intensity. You just put a pinch of salt in something, it's different than if you put a lot of salt. What happens if that salt loses its potency and it's just, just spread out? It becomes very unimpactful. In many ways, worthless. So think of this way. Our love for the lost in this world is not demonstrated in our similarity to them, but in our distinction, our distinction. If we think of ourselves as salt sent out by God, then we got to remember when we are mocked in the name of Christ for the difference that we bring, that's exactly what salt is to do. Bring the difference. Stand out. Swim upstream. Quit floating down this cultural tide of, of compromise and blandness, right? Throw some salt in the water and watch what happens. Jesus says, you, believers, you are the salt of the earth. There's a purpose for us. And then, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for us. He says, look, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, believers, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world to be salt. What's interesting about salt is it really is no, uh, no value uh, to the food if it's in the shaker. Sometimes God will shake the salt shaker to spread out the salt. In fact, some of the most great revivals throughout the history of mankind have happened in the, the persecution of the church, when the church is, is persecuted and pushed out to the ends of the earth. So, in 2020, don't stay in the salt shaker. Friends, this is a salt, this is a salt shaker here. Look at it. We're all together. The goal of this week is get out the salt shaker. Get out in the world. Flavor it up. Stand out. Stand up. Be united in your devotion with Christ. And have a preserving effect on those who are fading quickly. Out of the salt shaker and into the world. So, response this morning. Three things. Now, the inside pastor joke for this Sunday, since it's the first Sunday of 2020, is that I, I bet you there's like countless sermons being preached on 2020 vision, right? 2020 vision! I just, I just was just cracking up, just thinking. So here's my part. A vision for 2020, okay? Since we're doing it, I'll just join the, the bandwagon. This is what I'm dreaming for my heart, my life, and for all of us here, okay? From these words... Three things. That we would have an undivided love for Jesus Christ this year. Undivided. We would seek out idolatry and put it down and replace it with Christ supreme first. Second, that we would have a joyful embracing of Jesus 
not just as Savior, but as Lord, Master, King, Ruler, Owner. My dreams are His. My days are His. My future is His. It's all Him. Let's go. Let's go. Let's work this out. What is this year going to be, Lord? Lead on. And number three, that we would have, increasingly so, an evangelistic saltiness or distinction in the world that we have been called to reach. This county, friends, is increasingly dark. It needs salt. It needs the salt. And we have been given the opportunity to come and, and be spread out in this county as salt. May God bring these to pass for His glory and the furtherance of His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift of grace in these very direct and challenging words to us, believers. We thank you for the high bar that you've set for those who follow you. Oh, Lord, help us as we seek to obey this. This calling is so beyond our ability in and of ourselves to do, and so we we ask for your strength, for your wisdom, for the courage to live like this in a hostile world. We pray that we would hold one another up and that, that this would be a place of, of joy as we gather together in, in unity and unity and just charging each other up to go back out into the world and sprinkle the salt that you've made us to be, to stand up and stand out. Oh, Father, make our hearts united in devotion and loyal to you alone above all else in this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.